What is up, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of the Dishes and Dimes podcast. I'm your host, Christian Elblena, and today is August 16, Sunday, less than 24 hours away from the start of the NBA playoffs. Yes, it is here. In my last episode, I previewed uh, the matchups in the Eastern Conference for the first round, and now uh, this episode is talking about the Western Conference. Um, but before we start, um, if you haven't followed the Twitter already, please follow the Twitter at Dishes and Dimes for more updates and episodes. And today's song is called Vibe Vibe by Moods and Jasper. I really like this uh, beat. Uh, it's really cool. It's really chill. Um, it's very lo-fi, which is why I love it so much. Um, but before that, if you want to recommend any songs, any lo-fi heads out there, please feel free to always hit up the Twitter. Um, maybe we can add your song into the, into the next intro or things like that. Um, yesterday was the play-in tournament game. Uh, we saw the Portland Trailblazers take it over the Memphis Grizzlies in what was a very, very exciting game. Um, Portland once again coming out on top from the heroics of Damian Lillard and also CJ McCollum. CJ McCollum coming off of a who has actually been playing with a fractured back, like a a small fracture in his back, um, and hitting two of the biggest buckets in the game uh, in the final minute or so. Uh, with that big three over Jaw and then that pull-up jumper, and then we all saw it. Um, he can't effing guard me. That was <laughs> that was just so cool. I mean, the the play-in tournament was was a great idea, and it turned out to be a really entertaining game. Like even if the Grizzlies pulled it off and uh, figured out to win, uh, to bring it to a second game, I mean that would have been even more exciting, right? Do we have a do or die um, for each team? And, you know, that would have been really great. But I have to admit, I mean, I was really impressed from what I saw from the Grizzlies, especially from John Morant, who had a really great game, who came alive in the second half and made the right plays and just couldn't get over the hump. I mean, um, a great game also by Brandon Clark, who was probably supposed to be the second best player in that game for the Grizzlies. And, you know, they had heart. I mean, they they, they put out a great game and come up short to a really hot Blazers team. So that's something to be very proud of. And it's going to be really crazy to see the Western Conference next year. I mean, given with what we saw with the Suns and now the Grizzlies and... Um, from one through 13, I mean, they had 13 teams from the Western conference, um, not finals, Western conference in that bubble. And a lot of them, like four of them still had the chance to make the playoffs and, you know, all of them that were fighting for the eighth spot are much better than the seventh and eighth spot that are competing on the East. So, um, it's going to be really crazy to see how the West turns out next year, especially with the Warriors coming back with their guys. Um, and then with these young players on the Suns and the Grizzlies and uh, the Pelicans, 
and just them growing into a team that can compete is going to be really insane. And, and it really pushes more towards, you know, having the top 16 make the playoffs instead of the top eight in each conference. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. Um, but let's go on with the first Western Conference matchup. And let's start with the Los Angeles Lakers taking on the playing tournament winner, the Portland Trailblazers. Now, this episode is going to go much deeper into these matchups. Um, a lot of things can change, especially with um, the individual matchups we're going to be looking at mostly um, into how they play, because obviously these teams are much closer in talent and um, the matchups are going to be a lot closer, um, as you can see from just looking at the teams we have in the Western Conference. I mean, all of them can go either way. And it's not an understatement. I mean, some of these teams, some some of these lower seeds have a chance to steal these series away from the top seeds. And so let's start out with the Lakers and the Blazers. Um, this is going to be a seeding matchup. Usually, the one and eight matchup um, ends up being the least in- interesting, right? In almost every year, we have four uh, O sweeps. We have um, you know. Cinderella teams come in and just get wiped um, by the number one seed. Um, We haven't had a really competitive eighth seed um, in recent memory. Um, I don't believe so. Not since maybe even the the Warriors against the Mavericks in 2007. I mean, that was the last time an eighth seed beat a first seed um, in the playoffs. So usually this matchup isn't going to be very interesting, but... This year makes it very, very different. Um, the Lakers coming into the bubble with two MVP candidates and a Defensive Player of the Year candidate um, in Anthony Davis and then LeBron James um, against a very hot Blazers team. And no pun intended, um, they're super hot right now. I mean, coming off the last three games and uh, Lillard doing his thing and averaging, you know, around 50 points uh, and just... You know, we've seen him come up big time and time again throughout his career, and it's nothing different with the NBA restart. Along with a solid co-star in CJ McCollum and a cast of great role players, um, I think the individual matchups in this series are going to be very telling into how it ends up. The starting lineup that the Lakers used before they clinched number one seed and rested um, were... Uh, LeBron, KCP, Danny Green, AD, and JaVale McGee. Um, Size-wise, the Lakers have the advantage at the guard and wings. KCP and Green might not be as fast as Lillard and McCollum, but they still certainly have the size and length to defend the shots. McCollum is reported to say that he's fine um, with his with his fracture in his, in his back, um, but will be really intriguing to see how he looks uh, throughout the entire series you know he might have a game in which he shoots you know two for 15 and then he'll have like a like a 12 for 24 type game um it's really up to how he feels you know coming into each game and whether he aggravates it or not um i still expect the guard tandem to get theirs i mean especially with KCP and Danny Green kind of chasing them around. And then when, especially if, if Terry Stotts counters, um, you know, if they go to Caruso or something, um, Damian Lillard can score on almost anyone in the league. 
and we know that. And so I still expect him to have big numbers. It's just how much impact will those numbers get? You know, how much of an impact or how much value will they get from volume scoring from their guards? Um, the thing to watch out for is to see how Portland deals with the Lakers bigs with AD and McGee because AD and McGee can really lock down that paint. I know Lillard has gone to the line and has gone to the hole a lot in these games that where he scored a bunch. Um, so we really see how they can lock up the paint and how Portland's bigs because Nurkic has a huge responsibility in dealing with, you know, grabbing the boards against Anthony Davis and uh, JaVale McGee and especially Dwight Howard too, who has come up pretty big on the glass for the Lakers all season long. I assume the Blazers will stick to the starting lineup. They've been running with Lillard, CJ, Mello, Collins, and Nurkic. And let me just say, I'd like to apologize to Carmelo Anthony. Um, I, amongst a lot of other people in the league, when well, I'm not in the league, but amongst a lot of other fans and, you know, writers and media people and, um, you know, calling him washed and not being able to produce. And we've seen him throughout this bubble hit big shots and make plays and still look like a shade um, of a, of his former self, you know, backing down in the post. Like that's a legitimate option for them on, on offense for the Blazers. If he has a mismatch, if he's, you know, being guarded by a smaller guy or maybe a guy that's slower uh, on the defensive end. Um, he can get by them. He can shoot over them. Um, maybe draw double even, you know, who knows? Uh, but it's nice to see him still have some skills that made him, you know, mellow, made him an all-star in this league for many years. Um I believe these starters for the Blazers is the best lineup to play against the Lakers starters. I mean, it's the best way to match up with them, especially with their size. Um, the Lakers size is going to be obviously their, one of their biggest strengths in this series, especially with forcing Lillard and McCollum to guard um, bigger players. What will be interesting to see is pretty much their crunch time lineups. Recently, Portland has been keeping Collins on the bench for Gary Trent Jr., who has had a really amazing NBA bubble so far, playing good defense and making threes on a consistent basis. Um, and the Lakers have their own version of a small lineup with Kuzma instead of JaVale McGee and AD at the five. Even though he's, respect, he's expressed his disinterest in playing the five, he'd rather play the four. Um, this could be the better lineup to go up against the Blazers' late crunch game crunch time lineup um kuzma is has got to be the x factor here um he got that game winner against the nuggets and he needs to be and lebron says like he needs to be the guy that's the third best player on the court for them in order for them to really achieve what they want to um there's been so many conversations about how kuzma can be on a championship level team in his year and this year, he has to be the third on the Lakers. He has to be that third best player. Um, has to be a consistent scorer. He can't look like he doesn't know what to do on defense. Um, the Lakers' small lineup with McGee um, off the bench, you know, I mean, on the bench, um, is a great matchup for the Blazers' crunch time lineup again. 
Um, the Lakers actually have been really bad on offense in these seeding games. A couple of reasons for that, obviously, is getting new guys accustomed, you know, with JR and Dion Waiters, and then missing guys like A.B. Bradley and Rondo, um, so, which will also hurt them on the defensive end as well, because KCP and Danny Green will have to chase around Dame and CJ. Um, from stats from ESPN, the Lakers ranked second to last since the restart in points per game at 106.4. Uh, 19th in field goal percentage at 43.8 and last in three-point percentage at 30%. So that's the thing that is most interesting here because the Blazers will shoot a lot of threes, especially in the late later parts of the game um, with their shooting lineup. And if they can get hot and the Lakers stay cold for some reason, their best shooter is Danny Green and, and sometimes he'll be missing some threes. I think he went like 0 for 7 in one game throughout the, uh, these seeding games. And he's probably the guy that's their most consistent shooter. Off, after that, it's, um, you know, KCP and LeBron, um, Caruso, um, even AD might spot up, but that's not where you want him, right? You want him down low. And they even when before the season came to a halt i mean they ranked 7 in points per game and led the league in field goal percentage so you know in order for them to get hot they're going to need get some buckets inside they're going to need to um, shoot well from the 3 to make portland spread out and make them actually defend them at three point line if they're not shooting well i mean it makes it a lot easier for the blazers to guard them obviously um I think the series is going to be decided late in games. Both teams are going to be able to throw haymakers at each other with Lillard's premier scoring dominance. Um, they have Melo's resurgence and even CJ being being able to perform with his injury. And then on, on the other side, obviously, mostly LeBron. Um, there's no answer for him for the Blazers. Uh, they'll have Melo to put on him. Maybe even like Gabriel off the bench. Um, Gary Trent Jr. is not big enough to guard LeBron at all. Collins is going to be too slow, Nurkic too slow, and you're going to want one of those two guys on AD. Um, and Melo, I guess, wants this matchup against LeBron. I don't know how much he can take um, defending LeBron in a course of a playoff game, but he's going to have to hold his own, and he's going to have to really step up on defense. Um, I think a lot... As hot as the Blazers are right now and how much of a tear Lillard has been in the past couple games, I still would take the Lakers um, in six. It's going to be a series I can go back and forth and go down to the wire for a couple of games, but the Blazers having no answer for LeBron, um, it will definitely cause a lot of problems for them. I mean, obviously, he's <laughs> he's one of the best players in the league. He's one of the best players in history. Um, we all know what he can do in a playoff series if they... if a team has no answer for him. And also, you know, the, the Blazers having close games against, you know, Lavert and the Nets and Jaw without Jaron Jackson um, and Dallas in which they weren't even supposed to win that game. Um, you know, the, Grizz the, the Lakers are on a different level than the Grizzlies and the Nets and the Mavs. Um, especially even if their guards are missing, like Avery Bradley and Rondo, they still have two of the five best players in the league. Um, one of the best duos we've seen in recent history. And 
you know, it's going to be really tough for them to get this win as hot as they are right now, because it's everything that's happened. It's much different in the playoffs. You're playing the same team, seven games in a row, uh, much more physical, especially with the Lakers with their size. Um, it's going to be really hard, but I think I'm going to take the Lakers in six. The Blazers have a good chance, you know, but they're going to have, they're going to need monster games from Lillard and McCollum. Okay. Now for the second matchup, the Clippers against the number seven Mavericks. Uh, this matchup is very similar to Lakers and Blazers series in terms of matchups and problems for each team. Um, the Clippers have this massive issue in which, you know, with their chemistry, and I've literally talked about this with the Clippers all season long, uh, not being able to have their best players on the court for a good amount of time in a row really hurts them. Um, even Doc Rivers has mentioned their problem with chemistry. Um these seeding games were the perfect opportunity for them to really mesh that together. But when Lou Will broke the the bubble um, and Harold had to leave for personal reasons, I believe his mother passed away. So I'm, that must be really hard for him. And obviously getting back to playing um, is going to be really tough personally for him. And with load management and everything like that and other injuries, um, they're missing a lot of time together that they should have been able to accomplish throughout the regular season and throughout these seeding games. And it's really hard for a really talented team um, to win hard playoff series if they're not, you know, if their chem- chemistry isn't working. And that's just pretty simple. The Mavericks have a chance to steal this away from the Clippers for a couple of reasons. Um, one is because everything I just mentioned about, you know, the the issues with chemistry and everything and them meshing together. Um, you know, with the Clippers, if you can have the most talented team in the league, but if you don't have experience together chemistry, you know, it makes every possession, every game much harder. Uh, Luca is a superstar in this league and Porzingis was able to show what he's capable of being healthy and dominant as he's had a couple of really good games. And the biggest question for them is just consistency, obviously, with any young player, young duo, um, young stars, you're going to want consistency out of them. Um, this is the best time to try and steal this series away from the Clippers. Their X factor has to be Chris House Porzingis. Um, Harrell is expected to be eligible for game one. This is going to be his first game in the bubble, so it's going to be interesting to see how that matchup plays, given I'm believe Harrell will probably be the main guy to guard um Chris stops if he's coming off the bench I mean I assume Zubak is going to start because he has been most of the season and he's been playing pretty well um Porzingis has the skills of the big man that the Clippers have a hard time guarding he's athletic he can spread the floor he can make big plays uh the Clippers had a hard time slowing down Anthony Davis but you know I'm not saying Chris stops is on the level of Anthony Davis, but he has the skills that can really pose a threat to the Clippers, um, especially if Harrell is coming back and he's not up to par in terms of game speed and conditioning. Um, the biggest problem for the Mavs, I think, is pretty obvious. It's dealing with the dual threat of Kawhi and Paul George, um, who can also play great defense on Luka, so that's going to be another challenge for Luka. Um, probably the hardest challenge he'll have um, in his young career, obviously playing against two um, Hall of Fame type defenders uh, at the wing with length and strength and everything. 
um, that could really give Luke a lot of problems. Um, since the restart, three players are averaging 25 points per game while shooting at at least 48% from the three. And both of the two of those players are Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and the other one is TJ Warren. Uh, give PG a couple open shots and he starts to feel it again. And, you know, his confidence, if he's shooting with confidence, um, he's really hard to stop because then he'll take uh, take and make tough shots. He'll take it to the hole. Um, when he's playing with confidence, it's really hard to stop because then he'll be hitting a lot of tough shots. Um, the Mavs have a few guys that have the best chance of at least making it hard for Kawhi and PG. Uh, Finney Smith, Justin Jackson maybe, and maybe even Michael Kidd Gilchrist who saw some time a little bit throughout the bubble. But still, it's going to be really hard for them to defend these two guys. Obviously, it's hard for any team to defend these two guys because they're really talented and at the size and their skill set, it's just really hard to stop at 6'8", 6'9". The Mavs and Clippers are the top two teams in offensive offensive rating uh, throughout the regular season. And, you know, even with the Clippers not being able able to... um, have their top guys all the time together they're still scoring 113 points every 100 possessions now imagine that team being fully healthy with a chemistry going game by game um you know that's why they needed all that chemistry because they needed to play together they might even be at a different level at a higher level than they are right now if they you know had those times together um it's going to be a really fun series to watch. The Clippers trying to gain valuable time and chemistry together as a team versus two young, great players um, trying to prove themselves in the first playoff series. The Mavs absolutely need Luka to be Luka from the regular season to even have a chance to win. Um, his experience playing overseas and playing big games in Spain isn't going to come uh, really handy in this series. Um, but when it comes to other players for the Mavs, It'll be a huge question mark for who who steps up. Um, Finney Smith, is he going to hit corner threes? Is he going to play reliable defense? Uh, Seth Curry, does he get a chance to play? Because um, on, on the defensive end, he's he's a minus. Um, Maxi Kleber, what kind of impact does he have? Um, you know, all these guys are going to be in the playoffs for the first time, maybe, um, or have little to no experience in the playoffs. And against a very talented team in the Clippers is going to be pretty hard. Um, I have the Clippers winning in six games um, because of some inconsistent shooting nights for the Mavericks. Okay, and on to the third matchup. We have the Nuggets, the number three Nuggets, and the number six Utah Jazz. The seeding game that they played against each other where they it went into double overtime and the Nuggets were able to hold off Mitchell. Um scoring 35 in his late game heroics uh, showed a lot about what this matchup could entail for seven games. Um, There are a lot of factors at play with this matchup. First off, uh, the Nuggets who, you know, with a new look Jokic uh, being slimmer um, and the new lineup that Mike Malone has had to trust throughout the seeding games, uh, we're finally seeing um, the potential of Michael Porter Jr. and what he can be in this offense, being a 6'10 forward who can 
who can score off the dribble, who can catch and shoot, who can rebound, um, who can set up teammates too. Uh, he has good ball handling for his size as well. And then even Bull Bull coming out of nowhere with a couple of good games. Um, the biggest question, obviously, again, for young players is consistency and their whether they can step up in the playoffs. Um, they'll have to have Porter do um, a lot of scoring if Jokic and Murray can't get it going. Uh, Jokic can do so much, you know, but against Gobert, um, he's going to have a hard time in the paint. Uh, he's going to be more effective from outside of the paint, like from the top of the key, if he's setting up guys who are cutting or even shooting uh, threes, uh, but he can't do everything. They're going to need Jamal Murray and Michael Porter Jr. to step up here on the offensive end. For the Nuggets, I think the defensive game plan is relatively simple. Um, they did a good job forcing Donovan Mitchell to take tough shots in their seeding game, but as Mitchell is the one guy in offense that the Jazz has, you know, that they have to lean on, especially again without Bogdanovich shot the restart. Um, he was able to score 35 that night, but it came from 33 shots and it came from late game tough shot making as well. Um, and he only made 12 shots and I think four or five of them came in those final minutes of the fourth and overtimes. Uh, they don't have a big man that is as physically empowering as Gobert. And we saw Gobert get a lot of shots up close at the rim and a lot of dunks in that game. Um, Gobert is becoming a much better rim runner and developing a soft touch, and he needs to be aggressive if they want to put pressure on the Nuggets' defense. And for Mike Conley, who is actually missing um, a couple games because of his son, um, he he's expecting a son, so or the birth of his son, so he's expected to miss... Um, at least the first game and possibly even, you know, the second game because he has to come back and quarantine uh, for 48 hours. And so we don't know how much time he's going to be missing. Um, for Denver, you know, players like Porter, Craig, Morris, and even Jeremy Grant hit some big shots at some points. So you're going to need some guys to help out um, because not, you know, not having a reliable every time down the court to score for an option like Jamal Murray, who has a lot of shoes to fill um, without Gary Harris or Will Barton playing. Um, and especially coming back from missing a bunch of games. Um, he's going to be need to be in shape and they're going to be heavily relying on him um, on the perimeter. For the Jazz, it's going to be a tough start, obviously, without Mike Conley missing the game. Of the first game and then maybe even missing the second game without Conley a lot of the ball handling and playmaking will be up to Mitchell and even extended minutes for Jordan Clarkson who has been good for them but I don't know if he can pick up the load that Mike Conley had especially on defense they really need Gobert to be aggressive maybe even get Jokic into foul trouble uh, but without the bulk of the playmaking the Jazz are at a disadvantage from the start We've seen Mitchell uh, be able to take up a lot of offensive responsibility during his young career, but whether he can do it for an entire series is still a question that has yet to be answered. Um, they could throw Mitchell on Murray on defense, um, but it will take up some energy he needs for some off for you know on the offensive end. 
The good thing is that they have, the Jazz have some defensive matchups they will take. Gobert on Jokic is good up until Jokic is operating at the top of the key. Um, they have Ingles, O'Neal, and even Niang, who will have a lot of responsibility on both ends of the floor. The supporting guys really need to hit threes because if not, they're just making it harder for Mitchell and um, Clarkson and, you know, when Conley comes back to operate. I think missing Conley for a game or two really hurts them in the series, in the Jazz. Um, we'll see a big game or two from either Murray, Porter, and Jokic. Uh, and it's simply too much responsibility for Mitchell to handle over the course of a seven-game series. I think that the Nuggets take this, take a big step this year, and they take this series in five games. Now, on to this last series. Um, the number four Houston Rockets take on the number five Oklahoma City Thunder. This series has so many storylines, right? The trade for CP3 and Westbrook before the season. Westbrook versus OKC for the first time in the playoffs. Harden versus CP3 after the sour ending. Um to their short stint together and then the rise of Shea Gilchrist Alexander um, obviously the small ball rockets and their mission to win in their in this certain philosophy and the legacies of Harden Westbrook are really at stake this year there are just so many things to be excited about this series and I believe it will be the most competitive out of all the first round series uh, we have this year now now that I say that <laughs> it'll probably not happen but there's just so many things to look for in this matchup. Uh, let's first start with the Houston Rockets um, because their map is actually simpler uh, than the Thunder to win this series. Uh, we all know what we'll see from Houston or what to expect from them. Obviously, we're going to see a lot of space for Harden and Westbrook, who is still not recovered from his quad strain. So I think he's definitely he is actually definitely missing this first game. Um, but we're going to see a lot of space for Harden, a lot of uh, in the half court with lots of kickouts for threes, a lot of Harden stepbacks, Harden drives, drawing fouls. And then when Westbrook comes back, we're going to see a lot of pull up mid range jumpers getting to the rim. And it's going to be really cool to see Westbrook actually challenge Steven Adams um, when he's going up to the rim as they played together for almost, what, six, seven years together and having a lot of playoff runs together. Um Missing Westbrook is pretty huge. Uh, they're going to need this reckless abandon type energy on both ends of the floor. I mean, he adds a different dynamic and skill set aside from Harden, and he's having he was having one of his best, you know, seasons, best stretches when they finally went full uh, small ball. Um, with just Harden and everyone else spread out, the offense is pretty one dimensional, even more so without Westbrook. But the Rockets should be used to it. Austin Rivers and Eric Gordon will be asked to do a lot more without Westbrook on the floor for them. And they're still going to shoot a ton of threes and try to take take it to the hole when it's free or when Steven Adams isn't playing on the court. Uh, they have a big speed advantage the Rockets do in this matchup on defense is going to be the biggest question for them. Uh, they have P.J. Tucker, Daniel House, even guys like Imba Mute and Damari Carroll. Who can switch onto the wings of, of the Thunder like Galinari, Baisley, and even Shea. Um, the biggest threat to the Rockets, it has to be to defending CP3 and Adams in the pick and roll. Uh, the Thunder pick and roll is actually one of the most lethal offenses in the game. Um, Thunder run pick and roll fifth most in the league and have actually have the highest scoring frequency at 45.9%. 
which means they pretty much score off a pick and roll um, possession almost every other time they run it. You best believe that they're going to be running it a ton to get a lot of favorable switches for CP3, uh, Shea, and Schroeder, who actually left the bubble last week for the birth of his second son. Everyone is just expecting babies now at this time, I guess. Um, it makes sense, though, because this is the offseason, and it would have been the offseason if you know coronavirus didn't happen and we didn't have this whole restart. Um, so it's just interesting to see like that point or that side of the NBA, like players plan to have babies, you know, around this time. But now with the restart, it's literally in the start of the playoffs. Um, and they have a, the Thunder also. They have a ton of big men who could play in the pick and roll. We also mentioned Adams, uh, Nerns Noel, even Mike Mascala. Um, obviously, the biggest goal for the Rockets in small ball and 29th in rebounds per game. They want to limit the impact OKC bigs. Uh, make throughout the series for the thunder uh let's first take a moment to commend billy donovan honestly um cp3 has made a resurgence who he hasn't fallen off but there's a lot of questions with his health and just being an old small point guard and how much he has left but he's proven time and time again this season that he still has it and you know we all thought the okc thunder was was going to be in a really weird position with his contract and you know with young players around him how would they fit but it's worked out really nicely and billy donovan did a really good job um on defense for the thunder their best chance of slowing down harden or at least making it hard for him is lugans dort who has been commended by billy donovan and a lot of his teammates to be a really great defender and just a really solid role player for them um and when Westbrook is back, they'll probably have Shea on him to conserve as much energy for CP3 to do his thing on both ends of the floor. Um, the Thunder can be using the three-guard lineup more than usual in this matchup because of you know, how small the Rockets are going to be. OKC can run their potent three-guard lineup with CP3, Shea, and Schroeder, um, which is actually, as I mentioned before in other episodes, it has been one of the best five-man lineups in the league so far with Gallinari and Adams. They'll have a very active Steven Adams on the, to anchor both ends of the court. Um, pretty much the goal of Adams is to make the Rockets doubt the strength of small ball. Um, they want to force D'Antoni to actually bring out Tyson Chandler. I mean, that'll be a huge thing for them. Um, Chandler hasn't played in forever. He's old. Um, but if D'Antoni is forced to bring him out there, um, that'll just mean you know a lot more opportunities for the Thunder to score. Um, if Thunder can get their pick and roll game to cause problems with the Rockets and have CP3 play like he has been all season, um, they're going to be really hard to stop. Plus, adding scoring off the bench for Baisley, um, Gallinari can have a couple good games. Um, I think the series is going to go back and forth. Uh, missing Westbrook will be tough for the Rockets, but it's not like they've never played without him, and it's not like their philosophy changes without him. Um, their two previous playoff meltdowns in the past two years should motivate Harden to really step it up this year. They can't have another incident like in 2018 where they missed 27 straight threes against the Warriors in Game 7 of the Western Conference Finals. Um, They're the pure example of live and die by the three, right? This will be the closest series of the first round, and I expect the Rockets actually to come out of this series in seven games. I... 
I really can't imagine Harden and Westbrook going down in the first round. Um, not saying that, you know, this Rockets team is going to take it far in the playoffs, but I think that they're just too good to be knocked down the first round. And they definitely understand in the position that they're in with their careers and their legacies. They know that they have to make this run, you know, they have to make this deep run in the playoffs. They just have to. Um, I think the Thunder actually have a better opportunity to take this series. Um, they can mix it up a lot on both ends of the court. It's just a question of how consistent they can be and how much they can punish the Rockets for you know playing small ball. But I still think the Rockets come up big. Um, they take it in seven. And so, that is about it. That is all the first round matchups. I'm super excited. Um, it starts tomorrow, 10.30 a.m. Uh, I think it starts with Denver and Utah at 10.30 a.m. here on the West Coast. So, gonna be really excited to see that. NBA playoff basketball is back. It's just gonna be so great. Um, again, if you enjoyed this episode, please follow Twitter. Um, please, if you have any recommendations for lo-fi music, for any intro, uh, let me know. And get excited, y'all. It's playoff basketball. It's going to be great. And my next episode will probably be closer to the end of the first round. Um, probably previewing some second round matchups if we get them or, you know, talking about what's going on in the first round. So until then, everyone stay safe, stay healthy and peace. Peace.